Lord, we do not wish to feed on anything but your word and in your presence. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and the reminder of what he has done and accomplished for us. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas day with your family and loved ones. It's a joy to be here this morning with you. When my son was about nine years old, we got into the car to go and do some errands. And he says to me, Dad, I wish I were a cat. And I said, a cat? He says, yeah, like our, like our pet cat, Louie. We had an indoor pet cat. He says, I, I wish I was like Louie because Louie gets to lay around all day. He doesn't have to go to bed on time at a certain time or wake up at a certain time. He gets to eat whenever he wants. And Louie has no chores. And I said, that's all true, Brendan. But remember, Louie has to eat the same dry cat food every day for breakfast, morning, and dinner. Breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner. And while he does get to lay around, he doesn't get to go outside, he doesn't get to travel, and he doesn't get to play video games. And, and remember, Brendan, the, the average life of an indoor cat is about 15 years, whereas the average life of a human is much longer. So Brendan thought about this for a few seconds, and then he says, well then, I wish I were a human cat. A human cat. So this is precisely the dilemma that the Christians at Galatia were having. Paul came and presented the gospel, and they received the good news of the free, unmerited favor of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and with the promised inheritance of eternal glory, spending eternity with God. But there were some Jewish converts who realized that they had to give up something that was very dear to them, particularly that they had to give up following the law. And this is something that their forefathers had practiced for well over a millennia. But they decided to solve that conundrum, they would take these two realities and, and find a way to make them go together. And they demanded that the Gentile converts do the same. Paul, in our passage this morning, lays out an argument to say this, is, this can't be. This isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his argument can be summed up pretty simply. It is, the law cannot do what Christ has already done. The law cannot do what Christ has already done. Now, the Old Testament law is foreign to many of us, I suppose that there's no one here who is attempting to live according to the law. But what I want you to think about when I mention the word law is working hard to try to impress God and your neighbor by doing what is good and avoiding doing what is bad. It looks good on paper, but remember, the law cannot do what Christ has already done. Following the law is, is, is very difficult. I would imagine, for those of you who are afraid of heights, imagine if I said you have to change one of the lights up in this ceiling. The ceiling is about 40 feet, we estimate, but 
you have to use a conventional ladder with, with rungs. But you see, that in and of itself wouldn't really be uh, fair in an analogy because you wouldn't be changing the light bulb just once. You would have to do it over and over and over. And really, 40 feet doesn't line up with the enormity of God's law. It is commonly agreed that there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. So follow me here. If you take a traditional ladder with rungs and you think of each rung being one of the laws, picture a ladder that is 613 feet tall. It just so happens that the tallest building in Jacksonville City, downtown, is the Bank of America Tower, and it stands at 617 feet. So imagine getting up on a four-foot table and then starting that ladder. Outside, with all of the elements, just to try to impress God and earn his favor. But Jesus comes and says to you, it's already done. Come follow me. Now to be clear, Paul is not suggesting that the law is useless or that it was a waste. He says there was a purpose for it. It was to keep the people of God safe, leading them in the right direction. And he uses the imagery of being confined by a jailer. And then he goes on to give another illustration of a guardian, he says. Well, that would be equivalent to what we would call a nanny today. Someone who, who walks a child to school to make sure that they arrive safely and on time. But remember, where the law can reveal sin, it can constrain sin, it can help manage sin, it cannot save you. It cannot transform your heart. So I'd like to briefly outline Paul's argument, the three results because of what Christ has already done that the law cannot do. And the first one is found in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. The first thing is that Jesus unites us while the law divides us. Paul's list here is not meant to be exhaustive, and it's not meant to suggest that there's no more gender. It was common practice for a male to pray his morning prayers and to say, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. But Paul turns this prayer on its head. And he says, all are welcome at the cross of Christ. We are all sinners. We are all in need of transformation. There's no longer a court for men, a court for Gentiles, a court for women. I wonder if we were to pray that prayer, God, thank you that I am not like dot, dot, dot. Who would be included in our prayers? Because you see, the unity that Christ brings to us is not just for those that we come together at the Lord's table. It's, it's also showing respect and dignity, finding ways to bless and love those with whom we strongly disagree, that they too might come to know Jesus Christ. 
Jesus unites us while the law divides us. The second thing is found in chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, some translations would say elementary uh, spirits of this world. But this does not fit the context of a guardian that is leading a child in the right direction. One translation, one paraphrase says it this way. When we were minors, we were just like slaves ordered around by simple instructions. The second result of what Christ has done is that he gives us the freedom to love. To love God, to serve him and others, while the law simply tells us what to do. And we inevitably fail every time. One day I was out in the car and my wife called me and she says, Jack, would you please pick me up a milkshake? And I said, sure. And as I'm approaching the menu, I see that there's three choices, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. So I call her up, I said, which one would you like? And she says, I'll be happy with whatever you get. Surprise me. And I said, Jen, just, just, just tell me what you want. And she says, Jack, I'm happy with whatever you get. Surprise me. And I felt myself growing irritated. You see, I wanted to be told what to do because that's the easy way out. If I didn't pick the right one, Jen's disappointed. It's not my fault. But do you hear the confinement in that? Do you hear the fear in that? That's not free, freely given love. Being told what to do doesn't require a relationship. It doesn't require faith. It doesn't require responsibility. It doesn't even require integrity. But Christ's love is something that compels us. We are we're motivated to delight in, to anticipate, to celebrate, to surprise. Being told what to do and being led by the law is like saying, I'm not sure how to please this person, so I'm just going to try really hard, but what if they don't like it? Love is a choice to freely respond to what has already been done. And only Christ's love can do that through us. Jesus gives us the true freedom to love and serve God and others, while the law just simply tells us what to do, and we inevitably fail every time. The third thing is that Jesus gives us a personal relationship with God, with an inheritance, while the law does, just keeps us as workers and servants with no inheritance. In chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Growing up, one of my best friends lived next door to me. He was Israeli and his family was Israeli and they spoke fluent Hebrew in the home. And looking back, I can remember any time he called out to his dad, he said, Abba, they spoke fluent Hebrew. It's a personal term. It's an intimate term. 
There's a difference between someone saying, Chuck Berry is considered by many to be the father of rock and roll, and Chuck Berry is my daddy. Christ makes that personal relationship possible. The law just keeps us working hard to please God, like an employee trying to impress his or her boss. You think about children and how freely they receive gifts. When I gave gifts to my children at Christmas, handed a a wrapped gift to my three-year-old, you would never expect her to say, oh, you didn't have to do that for me. I'll make this up to you, I promise. No, they receive it and they delight in it. And it doesn't impress me if they were to say that. For those of you who know me well, you've heard me say this before. When I offer to treat people to a meal, they often say, oh, no, 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 you you can't do that for me. And if they're a Christian, I've learned you can say something and it works every time. You say, if you can accept a man dying for your sins for free, surely you can accept a free lunch at Taco Bell. They're speechless. Paul emphasizes it's not good works that earns our imperishable, unfading, reserved inheritance in glory. It's a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And God gives, Jesus gives us that personal relationship with God with an inheritance, while the law just simply keeps us as workers with no inheritance. In conclusion, the law cannot do what Christ has already done. The law can point the way, it can guide, but Jesus is the way. It can confine us like sheep in a pen, but Jesus says, I am the gate and I lead my sheep out. It is the very means through which we have unity, that we can freely love God out of gratitude and that we can enjoy and be delighted in as sons and daughters of God. I was at a men's conference several years ago, actually many years ago now that I think about it, and it was right here in Jacksonville. It was a Promise Keepers conference. And one of the speakers said, I want to illustrate what it's like for a father to help direct his son through those difficult transitional years of becoming a man and all the traps that are out there in the world that would seek to destroy his life. And so he called up a father and a son from the the audience, and he put them on the stage, and he put the son on one side of the stage and the father on the opposite side of the stage. And in between them, you could see it on the jumbo screen, were all of these dangerous objects. He had bear traps. He had broken glass, sharp objects laying around. And he said, all of these objects represent the dangers for these young men. Drugs, drunkenness, lust, bitterness, laziness. And so you can imagine everyone was on the edge of their seat because he instructed the father to just guide his son by verbally telling him how to walk across the stage. He blindfolded the young man the speaker, and then he told him to take off his shoes and his socks. And he says, on my count, when I say go, 
to the dad, you can start giving your son instructions. As soon as he yelled, go, the father shouted to his son, stop. And the father walked across the stage and he put his son's hands on his shoulders and he walked his son across the stage. The full Jacksonville Stadium erupted in applause because the point was immediate. The law cannot do what Christ has already done. He has fulfilled the law for you and me and he invites us to be clothed in him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that all are welcome at the cross. And Lord, if we have been working hard to try to impress you or to earn your favor, Lord, we repent of that. And we confess that we delight in what has already been done through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we love freely. Through Christ, may we find unity, even in the midst of diversity. And Lord, may we cultivate this personal relationship with you, where we cry out to you, just as our Savior cried out to you when he was in the garden, and he said, Abba, Father, if there is any way for this cup to be passed, but Lord, let your will be done. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.